0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter three. Colossians, chapter three. And um, for the last four weeks, we have been looking at um, at a series that we entitled "We Value the Things That We Value," and we're looking at the things that we value as a church. And, and just as a matter of review, uh, we start with the mission statement of our church, which is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. That is the mission of our church. This is what we do. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Uh, all, just as you saw five out right here, we're sending them out to transform… Uh, as transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Uh, we leave this service and we go back to our homes and we have an opportunity to be sent into our neighborhoods. And, uh, and then we go to work on Monday. And then when kids start school on, on Thursday, uh, that's their world. And we're sending them to go trans, as transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And so that's what you do. So, how do you do it? Well, our strategy is threefold that is, that we meet with God. We connect with others, and we live with purpose. We meet with God. We do this corporately. This is what we're doing today. We meet with God individually in our own devotional lives every day. And then we connect with others. That's that's a part of it. You can't really influence someone unless you connect with them. And we live our lives with purpose. We have an eternal purpose in the lives that we live. And so that's what you do, and that's how you do. But then you've got to come to the why question. Why do you do this? Why do we do these things? Well, the why question is answered by your values, your core values. And core values are guiding principles that dictate your behavior and your action. And everyone has core values. You have them individually. We have them corporately. It's what drives your decision. It's what makes you say yes to some things and no to other things. That's our core values. And so as we did the month-long study, a month-long, month-long study here and, uh, with our staff and looking at our church, these five values just came up out of our congregation as to, as to who we are. And so each week we have talked about those values, and today is our final message. And the five core values that we've identified at Shades Mountain Baptist Church are these, number one, and that is every disciple growing. Every disciple growing, every one of us, not just staff members, not just deacons, not just Sunday school, Sunday school teachers, every one of us as a disciple of Christ, we have a responsibility to grow in our walk with Him. Every disciple growing, every person on mission. That means every person's on mission, not just those that feel called to go on the international mission field or to go work in the inner city. Every one of us, every person is on mission. And then number three is every relationship is meaningful. Uh, we live in a community, just what Michael said, is where everything is excellent. And whenever you think about high achievers and and excellence is such a high, we put such a high standard there. It's almost like we're scared to admit that we're not as good as what we look. And that our front yard looks great, but our backyard's a mess. And our lives, many times, our front exposure looks good. We've got a big smile on our face, but there are things going on in our lives that it's just a mess. And we'll never get help unless we ever admit it and we're never just honest with others and say, I got to tell you, I've got some struggles. You know, I've got some habits and some hurts and some flaws and some things that I just need some, I just need some help with. And so every relationship is meaningful. And then we talked about last week, every generation together, we're blessed to be a multi-generational church. We've got from the youngest of young to the oldest of old, and, and we just got a great mixture of all ages. And so the way we live life together is every generation together. And we talk about mentoring relationships where older would mentor younger and in reverse mentoring relationships where younger can, can help mentor older. And, and we just do things together. We live life together. We go on mission trips together. We worship together. It's the value of every generation together. And the last one is every pursuit with excellence. Every pursuit with excellence. Now, as our staff began to talk about all of these things, this is the one that I kept saying we need to include this. Because we have set a standard of excellence here at our church, a standard of excellence in what we do and how we do things. There's a standard of excellence in the community in which we live, and there's a standard of excellence in what we do. And so today, we want to talk about this, every pursuit with excellence. There is a battle that goes on in each individual life and in every organization. It's the battle between mediocrity and excellence, between mediocrity and excellence. Mediocrity comes from a Latin and French word, which means halfway up the mountain, halfway up the mountain. And what mediocrity says is, hey, good's good enough. If we're good, good's just good enough. It's not great, but it's good. And so what we'll do is we'll just settle for good. And uh, it's a personal concession to say, hey, this is as good as it'll be, halfway up the mountain. Chuck Swindoll talked about this, this difference in excellence and mediocrity, and he shared it this way. Excellence gets reduced to acceptable. And before long, acceptable doesn't seem worth the sweat if you can get by with adequate. And after that, mediocrity is only a breath away. So instead of excellence, we go to acceptable. And from acceptable, we get to adequate. And from adequate, we get to mediocrity. So the question is, what is excellence? Well, the word excellent comes from a Latin word, which means to rise above, to rise above. Excellence means to rise above. You rise above the circumstances. You rise above the competition. You rise above The changes. You rise above the criticism. You rise above. And when you rise above, you strive to do better, to accomplish more, to have excellence. There is that standard of excellence. So as we get ready to look at this as a value of our church, we also look at it as a value as an individual every pursuit with excellence. Now, before I give you the biblical perspective, I need to first of all cover what I call the pitfalls of excellence with a wrong perspective. The pitfalls of excellence with a wrong perspective. Because as soon as you start talking about excellence, there are already some of you in the congregation that have already begun to raise your hand and say, okay, you put that big emphasis on excellence, it can go this direction. And you're right and I'm going to talk about the three directions it can go. The pitfalls of excellence with the wrong perspective. Number one is this, perfection disappointment. Perfection disappointment. Sometimes when somebody says, we're going to have a standard of excellence, you think that means everything's going to be perfect. We demand excellence. And so you try to set that standard for excellence, and you think it's going to be perfect. You think that it's going to be a perfect outcome, a perfect score, it's going to be a perfect sales pitch, everything's going to be perfect and guess what? Rarely is it ever. And you just need to understand there's going to be a perfection disappointment because everything's not going to be perfect. You can work hard at it, but it doesn't mean it has to be perfect. Now, we met on Tuesday to talk about the message and direction we were going. And being a prophet on that day, I told him, I said, this is a scary service. We're talking about one of our values is to pursue everything with excellence. Every pursuit with excellence. So you know things are going to mess up. You know it is. It's got to. So lo and behold, if you open up your worship guide, you'll notice there's the Wednesday night schedule. Pull that out for just a moment. On the Wednesday night schedule, you'll notice it says here August 17th, correct? And then right below it, it says what? August what? August 2nd. Now, see, what that does is that leads you to think two different things. Number one, after the four different sets of eyes looked at everything on this sheet that we left off the four, or do we have a time machine that if you show up we can take you back to August 2nd. It's your pick, okay? But I'm just going to tell you, things like this happen, okay? It's not lack of effort. Put a lot of effort into it. A lot of people took a look at it. All of a sudden it slips by. Listen, if you get so hung up on excellence that anytime something doesn't go, purpose, they go perfect and you start freaking out, life is not going to last long for you. You just need to understand, hey, there'll be some disappointments. Things will happen. Perfection disappointment. Did you realize that if you ask people who is the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, most people would say Ted Williams. Ted Williams, 19 years in the major leagues, his batting average was 344, Hall of Famer. He was an animal. He worked at it constantly on his hitting. And in 1941, he batted 406 and is the only man since that time who's ever batted over 400 in the major leagues. It's unbelievable. But do you know that in 1941, every 10 times he came up to bat, six times he failed. Four times he got a hit, six times he failed, less than 50%. And he's the best that's ever done it. you got to understand, perfection, disappointment, it's going to happen. All right. Number two, point to me pride. Point to me pride. There's two kinds of pride. One is you have pride in your work. Everybody should have pride in your work. That should be good. Pride in your kids, pride in your career, pride in what you do is a good pride. But then there's that point to me pride. That's when you say, hey, look at me. I'm the person. I'm the guy. And I'm a person who's excellent. And I did such a great job on this that I kind of think you need to recognize it personally. Point to me pride. If you get so caught up in excellence with the wrong perspective, what will happen is you will be more concerned with how the spotlight is pointed to you rather than what you accomplished over here. So when we talk about excellence, if you use it with the wrong perspective, it will result in a point to me pride. Striving for excellence is not an excuse for you to say, look at me and how wonderful I am. And number three is this. The third pitfall of excellence with the wrong perspective is performance over purpose. Performance over purpose. And Michael kind of uh, mentioned this a little bit just as he was sharing. And that is that every pursuit with excellence is not all about you. It's about the purpose you're working towards. It's about the team that's working with you. It's not about you and your individual stats. It's about making the team better and winning the game. It's not about your brilliance at work, but it's about your team at work coming together to find a solution. On Sunday mornings, it's not about the worship team performing or me trying to be a great orator. The purpose is helping to lead our congregation in a meaningful worship experience with a holy God who's worthy of praise. When you have excellence in planning, it is for this certain purpose, not for your particular performance to be the one that everyone looks at and you say, hey, what a great job that I did. No, you want to be excellent in your craft. You want to be excellent in what you do. You want to be able to rise above so that the purpose can be accomplished. And so we're going to do everything that we can of all of excellence so that we can have a worship experience that will drive people to the throne of God and be able to worship God there. Our value, core value, is every pursuit with excellence. And we do this with a biblical perspective of excellence. So I want to talk about a biblical perspective of excellence. First of all, We need to understand that God is the author of excellence. This is not something that we came up with. This is not something that a positive mental attitude uh, speaker came up with. This is what God came up with. He is the author of excellence. It started in Genesis 1 1. Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is how the Bible starts. This is where we're introduced to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does that mean? it means God is at work. He's creating, he's thinking, he's purposeful, he's excited, he's enthusiastic, he's energetic about what he's doing. And when you engage Scripture in that very first verse, you see that God is working hard. He created the heavens and the earth. And all of chapter 1, it talks about the, the six days of creation. And look at verse 31. In Genesis 1, 31, it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, It was very good. Now listen, when a holy, perfect God steps back and says, hey, this is very good, that means it's really, really good. As he says, this is excellence. And he set the standard of excellence right there with creation. And when you get to Psalm 111, verses 1 through 2, it sums up God's work this way. Greater the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them full of splendor and majesty in his work. Listen, if you don't believe that, just ask any physicist or molecular biologist or geneticist or an astronomer who sees the world in faith and they will say, almighty God definitely knows how to do excellent work. He is the author of excellence and he has set the standard for excellence. In his creation, he set this standard for excellence. So a biblical perspective of excellence, and the way we try to look at it as a staff and as hopefully everyone looks at it as an individual, is that God is the author of excellence. He has set that standard. But here's the second part, and that is that God is the motivation for excellence. God is the motivation for excellence, and it's found in Colossians 3, 23 through 24. I love this verse and I have used it for years and years and I really had never seen this verse until back around 1979 when I was asked to be the chaplain for the Berry High School football team. That's when Barry was a high school, not a junior high, and, and it was in the, uh, the old building over here that now Vestavia's got. But uh, I was the chaplain for their football team and there was a book that we were going through and uh, it was a FCA book and in the midst of that book, he brought this verse out. This is kind of like the major verse. And it was to encourage those ball players to do everything they could for the glory of God. And it says this, verses 23 through 24. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So, in this verse, it says that God really is to be your motivation for excellence. And there's two things here. Number one, all work should get your best. All work should get your best. At the first of this passage, it says, whatever you do. He didn't say certain things that you do. Pick and choose things that you do. He says, whatever you do. That means everything you do. And whatever you do, you do it heartily. That word heartily means with all your strength, with all your effort, and with enthusiasm. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. That means you get after it. Students, you're getting ready to start school. You know, the great thing about starting school is you're starting over. I mean, you may have been the worst student known to man last year. And, and those teachers, they just couldn't wait to may and, and to move you on because, and, and you couldn't wait because there were some subjects that you just couldn't figure out. I've been there. I had some that I just, I, you know, it was, I just thought they gave me a D because my name was Danny. I, you know, I, I just, thank you. Thank you for letting me get through this, uh, this class. There's some that just didn't register with me on there, but you know, the great thing is you had the next year. And when you got to the next year, it was a new start. It was a whole new start they don't come back and they say, well, hey, you're starting out with a C. No, you're starting out same level as everybody else. And then when you look at this verse and it says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, do my work heartily. That means I can do it with enthusiasm. I can do it with excitement. I can put an excellence, uh, effort into it. You can do it with excellence. And he says, all of your work, it should get your best. All of your work should get your best. And, and so we get to kind of get a do-over. Hey, here we go. And you you go back to work on Monday, set the standard. All your work should get your best. And this is what Paul is saying here. All work should get your best. Now, sometimes your work or your schoolwork can be hard. It can be boring, even monotonous, he says, but no matter you give it your best. And a part of giving your best is finishing what you start. Finishing what you start. Now, The passage that uh, Michael shared, and you could turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for just a second. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's talking about finishing. Now, we're less than 30 days away from college football getting ready to get started, and everyone's all excited. And what you're going to hear over and over is about finishing, Now, it may have been talked by a lot of different coaches, but in my mind, it was Nick Saban, when he came to the University of Alabama, is the one who really started talking about finishing. Because every time they asked him about his philosophy, over and over and over, he would say, you've got to finish. And he says, I tell our players, you've got to finish that block. You've got to finish that run. You've got to finish that pattern. You've got to finish every detail you've got to finish. And then when you play in the game, you've got to finish the game. You can't just go three quarters. You got to go full qu- four quarters. You got to go sixty minutes. You got to finish. And then, as we go through the season, you're going to have to finish. You can't just slack off near the end of the season. You lose all your goals, your opportunities to win championships. You've got to finish. And so, we just hammered that over and over. And then I kind of picked up other coaches. It seemed like began to talk about that, and it makes a whole lot of sense. You gotta, you gotta finish. That's part of excellence is to finish. Well, well it's interesting. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And they were taking up an offering. Isn't it like it a preacher, he's taking up an offering, okay? <laughs> but look what they're taking it up for. The people in Jerusalem are going through a famine. People are losing their jobs. It's very difficult. And so what Paul has done is gone to all these churches that they've planted and asked them to take up a special offering to send back to the believers in Jerusalem to help them. And so they're coming back and talking to the church at Corinth. And in verse 7… He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for you, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Excel in this act of grace, this act of giving. Now he comes down to verse 10, and he says, and in this matter, I'll give you my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You started this work because you desired to do it. You got fired up. We came to you. We said, there's a need here in Jerusalem, and we want you guys to help out. And everybody sitting out here says, this is a great idea. Let's go for it. It's great. All right. It's been a year now. And all that enthusiasm you had kind of waned, and look what he says in verse 11. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Your readiness to start matches your readiness to finish. You need to finish this. You need to finish this up. He said, you need to have that same enthusiasm. We need to finish this up. Listen, all work should get your best. When we say all work should get your best. That means that you need to finish. You need to finish what you started. Every pursuit with excellence. It's a core value. It's a core value as to what we have here at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And it's all tied to our purpose. And you see, it's not just so that we can say, oh, we did this really good or really that. There's a purpose, and we do it for the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But you see... Whether it is keeping up with the facilities or things that we give to people would be nicely, nicely done or, or uh, got a good look to them and, and nothing extravagant, but just to do it with excellence is important. So as I was putting together the message, it got me thinking about our preparations for worship. Every Sunday we come together, we have an hour and 20 minutes uh, that we have together. Sometimes preacher goes long and it's an hour and 25 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour thirty, and I hear about it. But um, but you about an hour, hour and twenty minutes or so. So so what goes in into this? When we finish the service today, we'll come back on Monday, and on Monday Michael will have the music and tech staff, and they will get together and meet for an hour and a half, two hours or so, and they will review everything that went through this service, everything, all the cues, all the lighting, all the camera, all the music, everything. Review everything that we did, and then begin to look forward to the next Sunday. Then that afternoon, there's a small group of us that meets an executive staff, and we'll look back over the Sunday and look at some of the major elements and how that went and anything that we need to change, talk about this next Sunday and some things that are coming up on that. Then we meet together as a staff on Tuesday morning when all the staff comes together. When we have all the staff, one of the things that we'll do is maybe share a few words about Sunday, some of the things that happened, uh, uh, some of the comments that we've got, uh, you know, lives that were changed, whatever, talk about some of that, and then talk about the big rocks for the next Sunday. Will we have any commissionings? Do we have any baptisms? Is there a Lord's Supper? Do we have any videos? We just want to let that be known. What are important things that we need to announce? So then, that afternoon, for an hour and a half, then the worship planning team comes together. Myself and Chad and Jacob Simmons gets together, uh, and then also uh, we've got Ethan and David. You got your video and your graphics, and you got Michael and Logan. Got your music, and we sit in there, and for an hour and a half, we will analyze every aspect of the service. We'll talk about the sermon, what direction that we're going. And if the sermon's going in this direction, what about the music? What music do you think that we need to have? There's some songs that we not not familiar with. Will you read the words to us and we'll read the words and see do the words tie in with the message on there? Then we ask the question, what about announcements? Do we need an announcement video? What are the most important things that we need to announce at this particular time? Do we have commissionings? Yes, okay. Will there be baptisms? Will there be Lord's Supper? Will there be special recognitions within the service? And let's talk about the flow of the service. And then when you list out what all your elements are, then where do they fall within the service? Where's the best segue? How do you transition to get from here to here so it doesn't look so uncomfortable? And so for an hour and a half, we will do that for not only this next coming Sunday, but then even a couple down the road to start getting ahead on that. Then on Wednesday, then what Michael does is he has choir rehearsal that night and Joel has rehearsal for the orchestra. Then on Thursday, if there's any video elements, Ethan, who will mix the sound in his studio, will then come here with tech people and they'll play it here in the house. And they'll walk all around to the different areas to see where the sound to make sure that every person can hear the video because mixing here versus in the studio is different. He'll go back and tweak it. Then he takes that, sends it to us on the worship team, and we will watch the video and make our suggestions as to some things that need to be added or subtracted, and then he'll make those changes over the weekend. In the meantime, I'm putting 10 to 15 hours of study on the message, and then we come together on Sunday morning. And We come together on Sunday morning at 7.30 with ministerial staff to pray, and then we walk through the service to make sure people know who's doing the offertory, things like that. Then at 7.45, we come and we stand right here with all the tech people and the music people and myself and we walk through every single element of the service. And we try to determine who's coming up. Do we need to give them a mic? Where do they need to stand? Which camera will be hitting them? What do we need to do with the lights? When do we make the adjustment with the lights? How do we do camera? Who will be behind us? Where do you need to stand? And make sure everybody knows that. Then when we walk out, then Michael is here with the musicians, and they do some rehearsal here until around, around 9. And on a normal Sunday, when you've got a choir, then Michael goes down there with a the choir, and then the choir starts coming out here about 9.25. David shows the video a countdown about 9.15. Choir comes in about 9.25. We start at 9.30. Okay. Then the next Monday, we do the same thing different scripture, different direction, different music, different elements, every service is different. 52 weeks a year. In addition to the other things that we do, you know, in our in our job. But we do this because every pursuit is with excellence. And we've got one shot for an hour and 20 minutes to try to provide a worship experience if I can use that word so that each person here can have that time with God and be drawn to the throne. And when they walk out of here, our hope is that you can say, hey, we had a worship experience. And I'm either closer to God or I've been challenged by God because of why I've been here. You say, why do you do all that? We do all that because we don't want anything to distract you from having a worship experience. And so every pursuit is done with excellence. And that is a part of our core value and just how we want to operate. You say, "Well, why do we do it?" It's because of the final point, and that is this: All work is working for God. All work is working for God. This came out in the 1979 Bible study that I led with the uh, football players at Barry High School. Because when you look at this verse, it says, "Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord And not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You know, back in 1979, we looked at those high school football players and we said, Look at this thing. You work hardly as for the Lord and not for your coach, not for your parents, it's for the Lord. And so when you are thinking about what effort you're going to give, you think about your Lord and you make that effort. For every one of us, you work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And you can look at me and look at the church and say, well, Danny, you guys are kind of in the God business, so I guess that's why you need to do that. Hey, listen, we're all in the God business. You see, every person is on mission. And when you go to work, you need to work heartily for the Lord. And you work as eagerly at your work for your boss as if you were working for the Lord. If you're typing a letter, you type a letter if Jesus was to sign it. If you're programming a computer, you're programming it as if Jesus was going to use it. If you're working on the assembly line, it's as if you're building a part that Jesus would use. If you're building a house, you're building a house in such a way that Jesus would live in it. There's no doubt that if Jesus were your boss, you'd be willing to obey without argument and without delay. And you would try to give your best all day long. And that is Paul saying that's how a Christian should serve his, his boss. So I want to remind you. How a Christian works in his job reflects on Jesus Christ, regardless of who your employer may be. You see, people are not going to be inclined to listen to the testimony of a Christian who is shoddy in their work and is always complaining and is always dragging. No, you've lost your witness. You've lost your testimony. But just think, if you go out there and you set a standard of excellence, you're not being pretentious. You're just getting after it. And when you do that, you get the respect of others. And when there's some situations and you can pour into somebody's life, they're going to lean into you and they want to listen to what you have to say. Because I'm working hardly not just for my boss, but as for the Lord. Your and my primary responsibility is to make the gospel attractive to the unsaved. You're God's representative in that office, in that classroom, on that team, on that assembly line. You may be God's only representative in your workplace. Therefore, it's crucial that you work in such a way that will bring glory to God. Listen, everybody doesn't have a perfect work, uh, workspace, and I understand that. And uh, our deacons, they will give me give prayer requests, and uh, we set it up. When we go on retreat where we pick a day where I'll, uh, each one of us will pray for one of the deacons. So every day we're praying for some deacon. We ask them to say what they want us to pray for. And they gave us that, and then I came back this year and did something different. And I said, I appreciate your general prayer. I want you to give me two things to pray for in your work. And it's amazing how many have got some tough bosses. (laughs) You know, they've got some that just are not believers. And they said, This is one of the toughest times I've had. My workplace is difficult. And it's so great to be able to, every month, to be able to pray for them and pray for that situation. And they understand. I've got an opportunity to be a witness for my boss just from the way that I do my work. Every pursuit with excellence. Now, I've got you an assignment that you can do now or even you can take it home. Are you ready? On the pews, uh, should be on my right, your left, there is a blue sheet of paper right here that says, A Sunday School Leadership Needs... Now, I want you to bear with me. I want you to take it and pass it down. Take it and pass it. Everybody needs to take one of these. Take it and pass it down. The good news is, you say, if this doesn't relate to me, on the back, it is blank for you to do a to-do list for your groceries when you go to, uh, to the grocery store, okay? So this is unbelievable form right here. Okay, our, our desire is to provide quality Bible study for every child, every student. As we have said, it takes about 800 volunteers for us just to pull off a Sunday here. And we have gotten into a little bit of a a tight fix here in that we have still got some needs in these areas. Now, we've made great progress, and this is all we've got left. But we really need some helpers in these areas. Now, I want you to listen to me and just look up at me. I'm going to tell you something really clear. These are working with children. A lot of these are preschoolers and children. What we're asking, if you would be willing to work with them, it's just a one year commitment. This is not a lifetime commitment. This isn't that you're subscribing forever to be with two year olds. This means for this year, starting on on the fourteenth, I would commit to say I will work with them. Number two is you do not need a theological degree to work with preschoolers, children, or students it's better that you don't, okay? You can probably relate to them better. You're fine. You'll be okay. We provide you all the materials that you need, and in a short amount of prep time, you'll be ready to go. promise you. Number three is, it doesn't mean you have to be here 52 Sundays a year. See, some of you are saying, we got vacation, we've got family, we've got some things planned. It's fine. We fully understand that. And we've got that plugged in, that there will be a number of Sundays you'll miss just because of life. We understand that. So you don't need to worry about that. And the other thing is, believe it or not, there are some people here, they say, I love my Sunday school class and it's hard to step out of it. I go to an 8 o'clock Sunday school class. We have some people who go to an 8 o'clock Sunday school class, come to worship, and then serve at 11 o'clock. You can do that if you want to. That's fine. And for those that are in a strong Sunday school class, I will... Well, I hate to say guarantee. I can feel very, very confident that they're not going to forget about you because when you still have your fellowships, you still live life together, they're going to include you in that. But you see the areas where we have needs. I got testimonies that were sent to me by those who teach in preschool and those who teach in children, and they're just amazing. They just talk about how wonderful it is to be able to see preschoolers as they begin to burst in knowledge and you begin to see them learn more and more. Or with children, to be able to walk with them through life. And just what a joy it is to be able to be there and spend that time with them. And they said the prep time is not that much. It's just the opportunity to get to sit there and take an hour or so out of your whole week and just love on these kids and teach them about Jesus, tell them the stories about Jesus and then how thrilling it is to see them make decisions for Christ and to know that you had an opportunity investing a portion in their life. So I'm just going to ask you this. Some of you, you know, you know. You know what? I'd be willing to do that. I encourage you to mark one of these if you feel you can do that. And you can either drop this in the offering plate or there's a welcome desk out there that you can drop it off at the end of the service. Uh, or maybe go home, pray about it, look at your calendar, and then get back with us pretty quick. But that's what we would hope. That you would do, okay? Every pursuit with excellence, and we want to take great care of our children. You know, we have five core values every disciple growing, every person on mission, every relationship meaningful, every generation together, every pursuit with excellence. I thought about those and, um, They kind of all got encapsulated into something that happened to me back in 2002. In June of 2002, Janice and I went to the Billy Graham Cove, the Billy Graham Center, the Cove there in Asheville, North Carolina. Have you ever all been there? Just raise your hand if you've been to the Cove. Oh, is it a beautiful area? Oh, it's so beautiful. We went over there and we sat in for the orientation. As we're there in the orientation, uh, they talked about that there is an overlook and it's up at the top of the mountain. And that you could hike all the way to the top of this mountain. And then when you stand there, you look out. And it's this beautiful view over all of Asheville and the mountains and the, and the trees. And it's just gorgeous. But they put all these little disclaimers in there about if you got a heart condition, don't do it. If you got this problem, don't do it. It could be this, you want a little bit higher altitude, altitude all this. Stuff. All these things that could happen to you if you weren't in shape. So I'm looking at that, and I said, wow, that's a little scary. Now, this is before I started running and everything. I was in okay shape, and uh, I looked at that and said, well, I don't know if I want to do it. There are three ladies that are sitting in front of me, and I saw them turn to each other, and they looked at each other and said, ooh, that was so pretty. Ooh, I remember doing it. It was so much fun. It was pretty. I saw that. I looked at them. I realized that if, if there was a commercial for athletic women, they wouldn't have been listed uh, in there. And so, I looked at Janice and said, I can do that. She said, are you crazy? I said, they can do it. Uh, She said, have you read all the things it says here? It's just June. It's hot. I said, I think I want to do it. So, I went back, got ready to go. She gave me an apple and water. That's what we had in our room. And I gave her the name and address of our life insurance agent. And so, and we didn't have cell phones back then. Uh, so it was kiss me goodbye and hope to see you again. And so I take the map out. And when you take the map out, it says, here's the hotel. And there's like three dotted lines. And then that's where the trail begins. Now, if you look at a map and you see three dotted lines, I mean, it's like this. How far do you think that is? I'm thinking two, 300 yards, you know, at the most, a couple hundred yards to get there. So I said, I'm on my way. I walked seven-tenths of a mile, and I finally hit, and there's this big sign that says, now you begin the 3.7-mile hike to the overlook. I said, are you kidding me? Three dots? Seven-tenths of a mile? I've been misled already. I said, I bet there's not even an overlook up there. And then it says, the upgrade is 20%. 20%. What's that? Kind of like this? Upgrades of 20%. Okay. I started walking I think it was 40% personally. <laughs> Whoever wrote that, it had been a while. So I'm started walking and I'm heading up these upgrades. And then you turn and guess what? There's another upgrade. Then you turn, there's another upgrade. You turn, there's another upgrade. I'm getting a little tired now. And all of a sudden I saw a sign that said three miles. It said, praise God, I've been three miles. This is so good. And then I look closer, three miles to go. Went, oh, no. And then I look and there's a bench there was a bench. Oh, praise the Lord. So I go and I sit on this bench. And as I sit on this bench, I look to the side, there's an emergency call box. (laughs) Somebody has done this before. And they said, it's about here where they need some emergency help. And I looked at it and it says, if you give us a call, we'll have emergency personnel that will get here. And I said, well, I hope they drive a good Jeep because you can't walk up here because it's 40% 40% grade. So, I was sitting there, and I was tired. I'd been a mile and a half. And I said, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, maybe I'll call. Well, all of a sudden, this voice spoke to me, and he said, hey, Dan. said, you know, if you keep walking, you could die. I said, well, that's true. And then the preacher voice over here says, hey, but if you make it to the top, it'll make for a great sermon illustration. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. Let's go for it. So I rejected the phone, and I started walking. And I turned, another upgrade. Then I turned again, flat land. It was flat land. It went down a little bit. And for the next mile or so, it was pretty flat. Wasn't too bad. I got to the two-mile sign. Then I went up a little bit, and then it kind of flat. And I got to the one-mile sign. So we've been three miles, and I get to. It's like it says you've completed three miles, and we've got seven tenths of a mile to get to the overlook. And as soon as I got there, there was an older couple that was standing right there, and you could tell there was some concern. This is the same couple I met at dinner that night. I met them at dinner. You know how sometimes you meet somebody you just connect with them. I just really liked this couple. They were so nice, so kind, so sweet, and they were just kind of standing there looking around. I said, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" They said, "Well." You know, we've walked all the way up here, and we thought this was the final one. We didn't realize we had another almost a mile to go, and we're just thinking about turning back or so. And I said, well, you know, I got tired, too, and we started talking. And I said, well, listen, as long as we're talking, let's just start walking. So we talked and we walked, and we made it to the overlook, and then we got up there. And when you stand up there, you stand on this overlook, you look out over everything, and it was all that it was advertised. It was incredible. It was beautiful, and it was so worth it. Ate my apple, drank my bottle of water, and just drank it all in. It was great. You know what? He thought about that. Every disciple growing had an opportunity to kind of stretch myself and to stretch my vision of what all was there in Asheville, North Carolina. Every disciple growing, and I said, you know what? I want to do this. Every person on mission, I'm going to be on mission. I feel God's leading me to do this. It's a struggle. It's some challenge physically, but this is what God's leading me. I'm on mission for him, I'm going to do this. Every relationship meaningful. I met this couple the night before, sort of connected with them, and all of a sudden we kind of began to have a bond. And as I met them at the three mile mark, I thought every generation together. I was a younger guy, they were older. I was there to support them. I said, let's go and let's do this together. And then when I got to the top, Every pursuit with excellence. You remember what mediocrity means? Halfway up the mountain. That's mediocrity. You know what excellence means? To rise above. To rise above the pain, to rise above your tiredness, and to make it to the top. It was all worth it. Every pursuit with excellence. But you know what was most fulfilling about the entire thing? I'll always remember the view that I saw, but I'll also remember the words that I heard, and that is that as that couple was standing there, they looked at me, and they said, we want to thank you, because if it was not for you, we would have never seen this. But when you came along, you encouraged us to get to the top. Thank you. It's kind of what it is, folks. We are to be growing in Christ so that we can help others to be able to see him and to see things that God has for them. So may we do every pursuit with excellence because we do this work for God and we do it because we want to give God the glory. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. Father, thank you so much for this day and for this challenge. And Lord, the picture of excellence is the excellence of your love of Jesus Christ going to the cross to die for our sins. And then the excellence of your love was shown when the tomb was empty three days later and he rose from the dead. And you offer salvation for us. I pray today that each one of us will look at our relationship with you and be thankful for what you've done for us and the salvation you have offered us. And if we've accepted that gift, that we will live a life of excellence because we do it to serve you. And whatever we do, we do it heartily as for the Lord, because it is the Lord Jesus we serve. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.